everyone, and welcome to Tech Vines, the podcast where you've got some entertaining geeks enjoying some fermented grapes and talking about technology. I'm your host for tonight's episode. My name's Scott Delandy, and I am based just outside of Boston, Massachusetts, representing the East Coast. And our co-hosts for tonight's podcast include Melissa Gurney-Green, representing the Pacific Northwest, just outside of Seattle, and the one and only Mr. Colin Gallagher, our Midwest Connection, representing Ohio. And tonight's podcast, we are going to talk about technology of the future. So last week, we went in kind of a dark direction. Um, we talked about the things on the technology side that we don't like, that annoy us, and it was maybe kind of a downer and just sort of complaining. And we're not anticipating any any sponsorships coming up uh, anytime soon based on some of the, the comments that we made related to some of the consumer technology. So we're going to go in a different direction, and we are going to talk about some of the things today that are promising as far as technology is concerned, but things that we would expect to become completely pervasive in the future, the future being five years, 20 years, whatever that could be. But before we get into the topic around technology tonight, most importantly, let's talk about wine. So if you remember from last week, we decided we were going to travel down to South America and we were going to have South American wine and we were going to talk about that. So that's what we're drinking tonight and let's see what everybody picked. Melissa, you are on. All right. So I picked Alto Cedro. It's... Uh their first year in production, so Año Cero, and it's um, Argentinian wine from 2018 and Mendoza Valley, and of course it's a cab, but on, unlike most of the cabs that I'm a fan of, it's actually quite a bit lighter, um, which is good. It's got a nice woody taste to it, and, and the lightness is really nice for this 80 degree day we're having here. Nice, and what about you, Colin? What, what do you got drinking? tonight? So I went classic. I also went to Argentina. I also went classic. I decided to do a Malbec, um, you know, which is sort of quintessentially known as the Argentinian wine, even though it is a European grape that made its way over. Um, this is a Catena Alta Historic Rose Malbec. Um, you've probably seen Catena, Catena and there is some Catena Alta in the grocery store. Um, this, uh, the Alta is obviously their higher level brand grown at the higher slopes. Um, and this is their historic rose, which is their old vine. So it's a bit of, you know, you know, a bit of a different take on a Malbec in some ways. Um, got more intense flavors, um, a little bit closer to a cab or a Zin in, in that in that mouthfeel, uh, but still has got that little bit of spice from the Malbec. So really great drinking. Um, you know, one of the first Malbecs, actually the first Malbec I ever had was a Catena um, Malbec, actually several containers at a Catena Alta tasting at a little uh, Peruvian restaurant in West Roxbury, Boston. So going back to classics. So that's funny that you mentioned that because I, I knew when we talked about uh, South American wine and uh, we talked about uh, Argentina, I knew what you were going to pick. I knew you were going to go with the uh, the Catena because I don't know if you remember this, but that that restaurant that you're talking about in, in South Roxbury, you actually took us there or took, took me there. So we went there for dinner and that was the first time um, I had a Melback because, you know, my wine taste is was was pretty simple at the time basically i stuck to your cabs and, and your merlots and maybe a, a blend here and there but i had never had a had a malbec and i remember having that the first time and thinking that it was it was excellent it was very fruity i remember the definitely the the blackberry taste 
and then and then kind of the sort of the 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 aftertaste was like this peppery kind of licorice sort of flavor and it was and it was excellent and i and i was hooked on it for you know a number of years that was what my go-to was as i was on melbeck's and i kind of forgot about the melbeck over the last couple of years and i got back into it again so long story short i i employed a strategy that has never failed me where i figure out what colin is going to have and whatever colin is going to have i just copy that so that's basically what i did because i knew exactly that that's what he was going to be having tonight. So, Colin, excellent choice, and I completely second that. So, you drinking Katana as well? I am, I am, and it's uh, it's lovely. And I haven't had I haven't had a bottle of this in at least a couple of years now, yeah. and and I will be getting more because again, I forget about how good it is, and it's just the flavor, and and again that that it, it's got it's that fruity but not overly sweet, and it's. As you said, it's got a lot of body to it, so it's a, it's a, it's an excellent selection. So, as always, Colin, you've done well, and more importantly, I've been able to kind of draft off of what you've, you've picked, so that that works. Um, okay, so we've talked about um, our wine selections uh, for tonight. the The topic for discussion is going to be around technology of the future, and I know when we came up with the idea, the thinking was, you know, growing up. We were promised all these things as far as what the world was going to look like. Flying cars, flying cars. You know, you you remember sitting in the in the movie theater and you saw, you know, making the jump to light speed, and it's like, oh my God, we're gonna we're gonna make the the Kessel run in in less than twelve parsecs, and we didn't even know what a parsec was, and we didn't even know who Kessel was, but it sounded cool, and we wanted to do it, so. Um, you know, and here we are, and and a lot of those things from years ago have become, you know, pervasive to some degree. We're not quite at the point where, you know, you've got driving cars, and certainly I, I don't think they've done anything around the speed of light. I know that there are engineers working on that, but there are some technical things that they have to kind of think through before they um, nail that one. But but who knows? Maybe 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 someday. But what are what are some of the other um, technologies that may exist today or may not exist today, but you know, would be interesting to think about what is the potential and what could happen, you know, years down the line as as these things become more and more pervasive. I mean, you just think of things that didn't exist 10 years ago. The 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 concept of taking out your phone and and hitting a couple of buttons and have somebody show up at any place at any time to give you a ride to anywhere you wanted to go, and you didn't even have to hand them money. You know that's crazy talk years ago, and now it's it's just a complete norm in terms of well, this is how you get from point A to point B when you need uh, to use that as as kind of a service. So so I've got my list of of things, but let's uh let's start with uh let's start with Colin, um and see what what you've got. What are you what are you following? What's of interest to you? So you know I'm trying to you know pick things that I think are actually achievable and realistic and sort of natural extensions of, of other technology. I think you know too often, as you mentioned, Scott, that things get predicted that are just you know there's no way to get there from here. Um, um, you know, for example, flying cars. I mean, it's not that we couldn't build a car that could fly, but it's all the underlying infrastructure and teaching people who can barely <laughs> drive on a road to fly. Um, you know, that may change when we get self-driving, self-driving um, automobiles. Maybe people will self-driving car, um, flying cars after that. But um, my first one is I'm a big believer in the, and not that I'm talking about this today because we're, you know, again, sheltering in place still, but I think the 
you know, the, the full telepresence where you can actually see much more of the area and you actually look like you're in the environment, you know, that, that holographic projection capability. I think that's going to come primarily because I think, you know, some of the best advances in technology today um, have been made in computational photography. And it's amazing what you can do with inside, you know, with an optical image on the fly, you know, everything from the zoom backrooms that you see and all those things, that's all done by processors processing image real time. And so I can, I can sort of see a next step from that being taking that and then not just building a zoom background behind you, but building a full, you know, virtual environment of, you know, being able to scan the full environment and then, you know, with the appropriate monitor technology or display technology, make it look like you're there. So, so I think, that um, Westworld style telepresence. Exactly. Yes. Yes. Okay. Okay. Cool. Yeah, season three. Yes, that's what yes. I was thinking. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yeah. but yeah, that that's that full telepresence. You know, much fuller telepresence. I think is certainly on my list because I think it's it's hugely beneficial. I think, and I think it's sort of you know the technology foundations are there, and it's not going to disrupt anything. We're all, we're all sort of gotten used to the 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 limited telepresence we have now, and I think it's going to be you know sort of natural evolution of that. Really cool. I kind of like that because you, you kind of think that forward in, in the use case for that is, is imagine a world, if you would, where you could go to Disney and you didn't have to actually travel to Disney to go to Disney, right? You didn't have to get on a plane. You didn't have to stand in line. You didn't have to be outside in the, in the, the heat and the humidity. You could be in this nice climate controlled location and do it whenever and, and however often that you wanted without all of the friction in place that's normally required to go and, and experience something like, like an amusement park. So that is that is definitely cool. Um, Melissa, what do you got? So first up for me is thinking on biotech. And specifically, you, you've seen, well, we've seen lately these advancements where you can 3D print limbs, which is just amazing, right? But but going further and kind of kind of looking um, kind of more on the fringe, I guess, um, nanotechnology, and they're starting to experiment with that in paralysis patients and being able to regain some muscle control after years of not being able to use your muscles, and and there's all of these kind of um, small devices or or nano devices that are being implemented there's some small devices that microsoft is making right now to kind of counteract the effects of parkinson's and allow people to do things they haven't done in years like write so i'm really excited to see how that advances i've got a few pretty close friends that have had some kind of traumatic brain injury and it'd be nice to see if we could heal that with technology and it, people are starting to experiment with it, and it's definitely not my subject matter of expertise, but but being kind of an eternal fan of this notion of bioinformatics and biotech um, before it was really a thing. I tried to double major in computer science and biology. It just didn't work. <laughs> but uh, computer science stuck, and now I just follow this stuff. So for me, that's super interesting and exciting, and I think... I think um, we're far from this kind of RoboCop experience, but any kind of incremental change we can make in, in that field to enhance the lives of, of the people that are kind of suffering with these longer term illnesses or diseases or ailments um, as they were, depending on, on what that specific thing is that's, that's affecting them um, is, is good in my book. I think, I think it would go a long way to make a huge impact in their lives. 
and the lives of those around. Yeah, them. I think that that's I, I think that that's definitely one of the you know the the areas that that I definitely get most excited about is that you think about you know growing up and even today there are all these you know diseases and obviously viruses and, and just you know things related to genetics and, and and things that that happen to people that we've been working on you know, from a, from a biomedical perspective for, for a number of years. And, you know, there has been definitely progress in, in, in many, many areas, but you kind of look out and, you know, some of the things that, you know, when you were diagnosed with in, in the past, you know, which meant that it would, would greatly change the way that you lived your life in order to deal with whatever, you know, that, that disease or, or, or whatever it was, you know, it, what were you going to do? You had to kind of live with it. But now, you know, there we're getting to a point where there's a lot of things happening within that space where you can you can see it, right? It may not be, you know, five years from now, but I I would say that you know, 25, 30 years from now, the 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 the, the diseases and kind of the the illnesses and just conditions that, you know, again would would greatly change how somebody lived their life may not be that way, you know, kind of going forward. The other thing is just think about, you know, the robotics piece of that, right? So for, you know, uh, amputees and, and paraplegics and, and, and that, I mean, I, you can literally see the day where, you know, you would be able to, you know, be with somebody that, you know, doesn't have real legs and, and you know, it has uh, robotic legs, but their quality of life really hasn't changed because all the things that they can do. Matter of fact, the $6 million man, right? We go back, there's a good example. We were promised that for $6 million, we could completely <laughs> overhaul our bodies and we could run at 60 miles an hour. And, you know, we would have, you know, a bionic eye and then, and then the bionic ear. And, and, you know, we, we haven't quite seen that with the superpower angle of it, but you could certainly see that that's the direction that, that things are heading. Um, the, the, the thing that I am interested in, I, I really don't mess around with it that much, but it's, it's the things happening around um, drones. So, you know, which is kind of a, a corollary to the, to the flying cars, right? Where, you know, we can build them, we know how to do it, but what is the, the practical use case for um, what it could be applied for today, right? There are all these things where, you know, we, we never have to build another road. Well, you know, based on infrastructure and just people, you know, what, what's currently in place is probably not a lot of, there's not a lot of people that are going to quickly switch off of, you know, their their um, their F-150s to, you know, driving some, some cool space vehicle around. But you could see that. But I think the unmanned piece with, with drones, and it, and it may not be to the point where, you know, you order something online and, you know, 20 minutes later, something flies over your house and drops something on your front door. I think more practically you'll, because that final mile of having that drone be able to come in and, and be able to, to land it on your front door and kind of complete the transaction and the delivery, that's, that's, you know, that's pretty complicated stuff in order, in order to do it and to do it right for the masses. But I think just you know, being able to move things around different warehouses or getting things from different vendors where today you've got people that have to drive trucks or they have to put them on trains or they have to go on airplanes. I think a lot of that becomes much more automated. And again, I think that's that's kind of the low-hanging fruit for where things like drones, because now you're not moving a single package, you're moving large amounts of packages where the technology can scale and be affordable and, and be achievable 
um, for that type of a for that type of a use case. That was one of the things that I thought would be really cool. Is you know everybody gets geeked out when they see you know a, a drone floating around, and it's obviously a, a something that is a curiosity where everybody kind of looks and says, "Oh, look at that." But I think you know in the, in the future it'll just be you know just like you look up in the sky and you see an airplane, be kind of the same thing. And instead of it being a, a FedEx airplane, it's it's a drone for an online company. Um, that is, you know, doing something around moving inventory between different areas without having to involve uh, human beings in order to do that. You know, what's always puzzled me about drones is why that form factor is what makes them successful, right? The, the you know, the three or four blades, you know, mounted horizontally with the rest of the plane versus a helicopter with, you know, the still do like, why didn't anyone think of that before? Right? It's just sort of, you know, all of a sudden these popped up and this is the way, this is the best way to get a weight to thrust ratio is to, ha is to have these four propellers mounted this way. And, you know, I was, I was watching, we were just talking about Westworld, but I was watching Westworld and like, that's how their cabs operate. They have the short-term things and then these four, four blades and they sort of re replace helicopters that way. So I also think that engine style, if it works, is going to start to replace helicopters that because helicopters are sort of inherently slightly unstable. Yes, indeed, indeed. But um, my second one, let me give you my second one, because Melissa had triggered it, um, was also biomedical. Um, not quite as, as aggressive or um, aspirational as Melissa's, but I think, I, I think implantable tech is going to come very, very soon. I think you know everything from ID chips mounted in you know inside you to potentially you know ports that can access you know your auditory system or things like that. Um, I think we're pretty close to that, you know, already all of all of our dogs are microchipped right now. You know, you could probably microchip, um, you, know, uh, you know, your kids if you really wanted to. But I think there's becoming so much, um, you know, so much uh, available technology that can you that can you actually put inside your inside your body. I think particularly for identification, authentication, um, I think that's going to become pretty important because, you know, as things get more and more secure and as your fingerprints can get hacked and things like that, um, it's going to be more important to have something like that inside you. That's a good one. That's a good one. What about you, Melissa? What else you got? You're in. You're in. The, you're in this cool area of the country where you have, you know, a lot of innovation and a lot of, you know, startups and things going on. So, what are some of the things that that you're seeing, you know, out in out in your space that you know think could be, you know, not just cool, but something that could be, you know, something that that turns into something that that's pervasive over time. I'm excited about what the privatization of the space race is bringing us um, in terms of, well, they're exploring things like colonizing other planets and going deeper into space, right? But if you think in terms of the problems on this planet, which is growing food everywhere and, and getting food to all the people that are currently on this planet and things like that, solving some of those problems in space, and we've done this in the past where where you solve the problem in space and then suddenly all of that becomes consumer tech in some way, right? Um, so as, as people are working to kind of solve these problems for, for colonization and um, space travel beyond the moon, uh, or even back to the moon for that matter, um, kind of pulling that in and applying it to the challenges we're seeing here from pollution to to food and food supply and getting the food supply to where it needs to be to support um, other places in the world that have challenges growing food for whatever reason, right? So I think 
I think the technology there that's being developed there is going to be really cool and have a huge impact on our future. Yeah, I, I agree with you. It's the but it's really the what what changed in that in that part of the industry, the kind of the space side of things is the move to privatization, right? Because now that's where you have the the innovation really happening because you know you have people that are that are incented where it's not just to be first, it's it's about okay, what what are the problems that we can now solve? And while there is, you know, cool scientific justification for wanting to do these things, mm -hmm. there's there's also some, you know, consumer business model angle, whatever it is, that is is also kind of helping fund those types of those types of enterprises yep. into, into doing those things. And what's what's interesting to note, so I was I was watching the the SpaceX launch yesterday. And obviously, they they weren't able to to launch because they had some issues with with weather. But they one of the one of the astronauts that they were interviewing that while they were trying to kill time um, made a great point. And you know they asked you know well this is you know the first manned spacecraft in, in many years since the um, um, uh, since the space shuttle program shut down. And you know they're talking about putting somebody on the moon the first time since the early 70s that someone's actually physically gone to the moon and they asked the question, well, how reasonable is it to expect somebody in the in the near distant future to, to be able to actually, you know, go and visit another planet? So have, you know, humans do actual interplanetary types of, um, um, you know, exploration, which is kind of cool. And the astronaut made a really cool comment and he said, there's a good chance that, you know, somebody watching this right now will be that person that is the first person to actually go and travel to, to another planet. So the, the, the science is there. They still have to work out from an engineering perspective. How do you get somebody, you know, 200 days from Earth to Mars and have them there for whatever amount of time? And then to be able to safely get them back, you know, 200 days from Mars um, on, on to Earth. So, you know, two to three years round trip. So how do you how do you have somebody you know, live in that type of, of, of an environment. And there's the physical piece of that, but obviously there's the emotional, a mental uh, side of that, which I think is probably, would, would be the bigger challenge, right? Who, you know, you, you think about it, do you know anybody that you would want to be with for what it would be 600 days straight, uh, where they're, they're never more than, you know, a foot or two away from you, literally, right? That's, uh, that's an interesting proposition. That list is very short. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Given given get stressed that everybody else is going through now, just dealing with you know, a couple of weeks, couple of months of being in a house with um, you know the same people, you can only imagine what's like in a spaceship. But I do think this is the right time for privatization of space. You know, I think, you know, we did need the government to get through the initial concept and funding because the, the hurdle was so steep to do the proof of concept. And now it's the point where we can use private industry to really diversify and build on that base and, and take it in a bunch of different directions. Um, you know, I've had arguments with people before, well, although we should, we should have been private off from the beginning. From private from the beginning, it would never would have happened. It would have been, you know, the first couple of explosions and lawsuits and things would have shut down. And now that we've got the basic, the basic fundamentals down and we've been able to prove that it, it works, it's a really great time for the private industry to step in and do things. Yeah. Well, you also have the kind of the, the, the basic enablers on the technology side that, you know, 20, 30 years ago, you, 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 you just didn't have, right? You know, the computing power that you would need in order to do that 20 or so years ago, you'd be looking at this, you, you know, humongous mainframe water cooled yeah. with, you know, all, all this, you know, 
it, it just it wasn't practical. Yeah, now, I remember I remember something about the reading about the space shuttle computers, and there were like five of them, I think, if I remember correctly. And they, you know, so they had an odd numbers, so they could break a tie. But I remember, you know, as a high school student reading about the computing power of these and being like, oh my god. You know, my Apple II has more computing power than one of these computers that they're, they're using to put the space shuttle in orbit. Right. It's insane. Yeah. So, yeah, so that's, uh, you know, that's a that's a cool one. You know, the other, you know, not to change the subject, but the other one that, that's interesting is all the things that are happening in kind of the 5G space, right, where now, you know, you are going to have, you know, not just bandwidth, but intelligent bandwidth in, in, in places that will make, you know, things around, you know, what, what happens with information as it's being collected, you know, you're able to do things, you know, literally in real time. So, you know, the idea of moving things from, you know, a, an edge environment into a data center and processing it, you know, these are these are things that, that don't need to happen anymore. Yeah. And, you know, you think about just the, the, the technology and what's cool about that, you know, the, obviously there, there, there are things, you know, your phone's going to work faster, you can run more apps and types of things but there's the commercial side of that where there will be there will be companies there will be organizations that will come up and they will introduce new technology based on 5g and i really you know i don't know what they are but if you think about it you know 10 years ago you know some of the some of the companies that uh, are, are around today were built around you know the shift to, to 4g right and and now they're they're household names right but now look 10 years out where 5g becomes um um pervasive, what, what can we start to do with that technology and what are some of the new use cases that that's going to enable as, as those endpoints become um, um, smarter and faster and able to do you know, many more things than what we were capable, capable of yeah. doing just a couple of years ago. You know, totally, Scott, and particularly, I think, you know, particularly that last mile conversation for networking, we've really had a bandwidth constraint. Um, we, you know, and the computing constraints are gone. You know, there's more computing power sitting on each of our desks now than, you know, than, you know, most things had five, 10 years ago, right? Just, in, you know, in terms of, you know, you look at your phone, right? You more power on your phone than a computer 10 years ago, et cetera. And then combine, you know, all the, all the smart devices that have something in them, a chip in them. Um, but again, the problem has been, how do you get the data efficiently and off them to something else? And, and right. particularly, when, particularly when you're away from Wi-Fi and, and mobile, and I think it's going to be really important. Um, you know, I think one of the great things that I've, I watched, they were doing some planting in the fields out here um, this week. And, you know, I always love to, when they go on a break, I always go, love to talk to, to the, the neighbor. In his, and I love to see the technology in his tractor. And I don't know if you guys know this, but they, um, they have satellite maps of all the fields and terrain data down to, you know, like a 10 foot by 10 foot square. And he, they use GPS from where the tractor is to adjust how and how they're planting. Do they need to space them out? Do they need to add a little more nutrients, et cetera, based on the soil profile for that 10 meter, 10 you know, foot square area. And then it adjusts as they roll across these large fields. So just the fact that you can take that level of technology, again, what you can do with more bandwidth and, and play with it more in real time once you've got 5G technology and you're just using, you know, a one-way, you know, GPS signal. Have you ever talked to Brian Carpenter about the IoT vineyard that he went to in California? No, I will have to. You need to. I can't believe I have it. <laughs> it's amazing. Yes. And we yeah. need to all take a field trip there because he sent me pictures from when he was actually there. Um, just, I forget when it was years ago, but 
But I was fascinated and became a little obsessed with going and then, of course, forgot the name. So I'll have to ask him the name, but um, but yeah, you should talk to him about it. He's probably still got those pictures, too. So what is, what's IoT about the vineyard? Oh, goodness. Uh, they measure everything from from like the the wine in the barrels and the acidity level and the heat and the temperature and adjustments in the weather outside with with the grapes it's it's full out just completely connected and they've got this giant beautiful what i would call a knock but it's probably got some cooler new age name now but just wall-to-wall screens with all of the dashboard items for for every aspect of this wine. It's just amazing. Yeah, and again, I think back to your point, Scott. I think there's just so much, you know, untapped or latent, you know, data out there that we could actually do things with, right? You know, that's a great point about the wine bar. Rather than going and sampling it on a daily basis, you could do. Um, you know, you could actually get it real time. I think that's really interesting. Interesting. I play with a little, a few little sensors here for my own, making my own one, but I can see what you can do in your scale. But there's all types of things where you could do with better sensors and much more real time data. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I want to go back to something that you said about you know the final mile, right? Because I think you know when you look at you know some of the technologies, drones. We talked about that, but even even things like a like um, a self driving car, right? When you say self-driving car to somebody, they have this, you know, this vision that they they own as a consumer a vehicle that they just step in, and at some point in time, there's no steering wheel, and it just becomes, you know, a an, an Alexa-like uh, controlled um, device where you just say, "I want to go here, I want to do this, whatever," and everything kind of kind of magically happens. And and the final mile to to make like the pieces are all there, but that final mile of cobbling that together and producing something that consumers not only can use, but will trust and, and, you know, and makes cost effective sense for them to, to actually use. I think that that's a, you know, that's a, that's a hard final mile to, to get to. So, but I think there are things in that are intermediary that make a lot of sense, right? So you think of like the self-driving car. Self-driving car doesn't mean something that you put into your garage. The self-driving car is the is the 18-wheel you know tractor trailer that's you know hauling product from you know the west coast to the east coast, and they're basically driving you know um, whatever 16 hours a day, and they're shutting down for eight hours and you know they're out on the on the roads and they're they're doing it at times where there's a lot of traffic and and they're just creating additional congestion but if you could control that in a way where you know for the you know the 2600 miles that you have to go from California to to New York or or to Boston that becomes something that that's automated right that solves a lot of problems because now you don't have somebody out there at you know eight o'clock in the morning during you know prime time traffic, you have somebody out there that is, you know, at 11 p.m. at night where nobody's mm-hmm. on the roads. And and again, it becomes, you don't have to worry about the driver getting tired. You don't have to worry about liability of the driver. I mean, you have to make sure that the technology is sound. But I think that's, you know, getting something across, you know, larger, um, you know, interstate types of travel is a lot easier than somebody coming down your, your back road to, to drop a, a package off or for you to have that vehicle yeah. You know, to take you to the uh, to the supermarket, right? Yeah, I totally think you're right. Oh, go ahead. No, I said I totally think you're right. I think you know, who, I can't remember who was investing in automating. Oh, was it an, on, in self-driving trucks? I think those are you know 
of the smart investment. Smart driving cars are going to be interesting, but I think you're always going to need to have a person there just because there's, to your point, Scott, there's way too many variables, et cetera. But self-driving talks because you, you get a much bigger bang for it, you know, much bigger return on investment and you can, um, and there are just there are limitations on how humans can drive. I mean, you know, um, you know, I was talking to someone the other day who was a truck driver um, and or whose husband is a truck driver. And they were saying that, you know, they were stuck and they missed a delivery because there was, you know, there was bad traffic and they're only allowed to be on the road 17 hours or whatever it is at a time, you know, much like pilots. And they're like, okay, the delivery supposed to be there at 10 a.m. And, you know, 10 a.m. They're still 20 miles out of town and they have to stop because it's all collected and logged now automatically. <laughs> um, and so they have to stop and wait. So, you know, something like an automated truck will really help there. Yeah. Yeah. The only kind of thing you have to worry about, right, is, is conditions and well, weather which I guess is still conditions, but um, it'll be interesting. Uber is definitely investing in self-driving trucks, but I know there are more companies as well. Yeah, that's one that I think is definitely, you know, when I when you look out 10 years from now, I would, I would be surprised to think that there aren't companies out there that are that are doing that as, you know, they, they may not, they, they may, they may not be going out to, you know, the kind of the spokes of, of the delivery, but those main hubs that's how those those two dots get connected in, in, in the future and whether you know they're going across you know traditional roads or whether they're you know using some other way of transportation again maybe it's a it's a, a drone that's actually doing that there's there's no human being necessarily involved in the actual navigation or control um, of the vehicle that becomes something that is is you know based on on technology because you think of an airplane today and basically that's where you are now it's different because you have passengers on there. So you need to make sure that if something goes wrong, there's somebody that is capable and skilled to, to react, to, to basically take, take control if there's some sort of a, a malfunction. But if you're in something that's a little bit more controlled where there's, there's less risk, you know, if, a, if a, you know, a truck carrying, you know, a load of canned tomatoes, you know, ends up breaking down or tipping over, okay, we've lost a truckload of canned tomatoes, um, but but you know the, the the repercussions and the risks associated with doing that are are you know far less than for things that involve kind of human travel. Melissa, did you have a second, or did we cover your second? Oh, we covered my second pretty okay, well. So. I think I think we need to give Scott some homework for yeah. Westworld season three. So I haven't started it yet. I've been kind of waiting on that one. So maybe that's what I will. Uh, I'm trying to finish up. I, I, I start watching these things and, and I hate, you know, getting, you know, halfway or more than halfway through a particular season or series and, and not fish, finishing it. I feel like I've I've given up and I've, I've quit. So I I try not to do that. But I, Westworld is one of the ones I honestly I was waiting for. You know, I had this delusion that someday, you know, we'll be back, you know, traveling again and going to meetings and things like that. And I like to have that type of content when I'm, when I'm traveling, because it's just something that, you know, you can, you can get into and kind of forget everything around you as you're, as you're traveling. So I was holding off on that, but I think you're right. I think I'm going to have to have to check that out. Season three is a lot of things, but one thing it is beautiful at is dreaming in the future of technology. Yeah. So, so this podcast and, and the oh. things that Colin touched on some of the things I touched on some of the things you touched on are are all in this year in the season so you should you should totally check it out don't all right. wait 
I will I will add that to the the next the next thing I start up. That's what it'll be. It'll be. Yeah, because it's really well done, Scott. The first two seasons take place in this fantasy park where they're trying to recreate historic places. The third season takes place out in the real future world, and um, it's yeah, beautiful definition of of what's what could be possible in the world. You know, from AI control to everything we just talked about. Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, I was, I, I'm like everybody else. I was, I was hooked for the first two seasons, and I watched them, but then I, I cut the cord, so I no longer have an active uh, subscription to the, um, to the provider for that media. But there's other ways to, to access it, so I can it's, go. It's like into, nine bucks on yeah, Prime that's or right, that's Hulu what or yep. wherever. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. All right, so there's yeah. my there's my homework. I don't know if I can. I, I'll have the time to to binge watch um, all the episodes from from season three, but I will I will definitely get to that um, um, by the um, by the fourth of July easily. I can I can knock that out no problem, no problem. Um, so you know, s- by the way, speaking of you know things going back to normal, um, kind of a sidebar here before before we wrap. You know, we're at that point where things are starting to loosen up restriction-wise in terms of what people can do and kind of getting back to, I wouldn't call it quite normal yet, but at least some things like, you know, being able to get a coffee from Starbucks, as we talked about, being able to get um, your hair cut. For me, more importantly, being able to get my hair colored. Um, <laughs> you know, these are, these are, these are nice things that, 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 that are, are make me happy. Um, I, I actually have to physically go into to the office um, next week. I've got some things that I actually have to go do around some, some video production. Um, so I'll be I'll be taking a day and I'll actually be going in for the first time uh, since uh, since you know March. So that's gonna be that's gonna be a trip. I, I, I it's weird because normally you, you dread having to go into the office. Now I'm kind of excited to go in just to see what the what it looks like and, and just be like, oh man, here here it is. But as you know, the thing that I'm afraid of is that I have to put pants on that day, and that's <laughs> that's gonna be. I don't know how that's gonna go, so I may need I may need some sort of therapy after that. So, um, but I'm, yeah, I'm not used to wearing wearing pants. I wear clothing, but I don't have what I would normally wear into the uh, into the office. So, you know, I've got like everybody else, I have my my work pajamas and I have my night pajamas. And, um, that that's basically it. You know, they get washed every couple of weeks or so. So try to keep up with that. But that's how we roll here. How's the wine, guys? It's very good. I'm two glasses in and enjoying it and ready for the weekend to be here. Same, same. I am uh, more than half a bottle down. Um, so, yeah, the Melbeck. The Melbeck is great. I, I You know what? I, I always forget about the Melbeck when I'm looking for 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 something. And I always end up gravitating towards just trying different blends, and and that's been kind of like like my thing is just looking at you know what's a good sort of basic table wine that you know it's not quite a you know a hundred dollar bottle of, of Duckhorn, um, or you know or, or something you know high end like that, but but still has you know a good flavor, um, you know has has a nice taste is, is is something that that you enjoy. So I'm always looking for that. And, and again, I, I forget about the uh, the Melbeck, so maybe that that'll be my my kick for the uh, for the next uh, um, series of what I'm into as far as wine is concerned. 
So we're uh, we're coming towards the end here. So uh, in in TechVine's uh, tradition, the way it works is so I hosted this episode. So next up, and this is episode five. So we're going to episode six, and that will be Melissa's turn. So tradition for TechVine's is if you're the host, um, you get to pick the wine and you get to pick the topic. You don't have to provide what the topic is right now give you some time um, to think about it so I know you're after you down your bottle of wine you're talking about going out for for a run which is uh, better than what I can do right now but then again we're, we're three hours ahead of you so so it's still daylight where you are it's uh, it's getting dark where we are right now but Melissa so up to you what do you what are you feeling for for the next podcast as far as uh, wine selection? The theme will be wines that a friend introduced you to. And you have to cite the friend and and bring that wine and talk all about the story behind um, being introduced to the wine, but also the wine itself and, and why you love it. So it'll, it'll be fun. And then in, to pair with in, that on the table. Melissa, hold, Melissa, hold on, hold on. <laughs> including or excluding um, the crew here? We can include the crew here. We're friends, right? <laughs> no, we're definitely. I'm just saying, because there's an easy. That you know, it's an easy, That's an easy answer if it's just us. Uh, but okay, well then, yeah. well then we'll exclude the the, yes. the people here so that we have to branch out a little bit yes. and and it's a little less of a love fest. How's that? Okay, I think that's a that's that's, that's definitely good. fair. Yeah. And then for technology, let's go with technology that you can't live without so Ooh. so anything you can't live without okay like if, if you were walking out the door and you had to take one thing off what would be the last thing you'd you know tech tech wise right what would you leave yes Sorry. exactly right. i'm badly misquoting coco chanel there Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but yes um, yeah. Okay, but but let's make it easy. So like the easy stuff doesn't count. You can't count your smartphone. Yeah. You you know. So yeah. it's gonna be something. Okay. Yeah. All right. Oh yeah, that I've got a couple good. of good ones for that. Yes, that's a that's an excellent that's an excellent mm -hmm. topic. Okay. That's so we're great. we're we're locked in. So so we've learned a lot, right? <laughs> we've we we had some good wine. We talked about some things in the future. I think um, you know we're all still kind of holding out for the jump to the through the speed of light. Um, but some of the other things that we talked about, I think, you know, there's, there's some, some reality in terms of it's, it's definitely not a question of if it's really a question of when, right? I think that's, that's the thing is all of these things will, you know, at some point in time be, be real. It's just, is it, is it a, is it a five-year path? Is it a 20-year path or is it something longer? But you can definitely see that, you know, that's the direction that we're heading. So good discussion um, on that. And Melissa hosting and we are going to we're going to get personal and we're going to talk about um, things that were uh, introduced to us. And, and you said they have to have a good story. So they can't be bad. Right. So you this can't be like tell the story. It can be a bad story. Oh, it can be. So this so this could be like, you know, you were in high school and somebody handed you a bottle of Mad Dog 2020 as you were driving around in the that Chevy Nova straight. Boone's Farm, maybe. But it does not wine. And none of y'all better bring that Boone's Farm nonsense up in here. Oh, <laughs> we have listeners, even, all even right. if it is basically family. Oh, <laughs> all right. No, we want listeners to send us wine. So yes. Yes. <laughs> 
Okay. All right. I, I like that. I like that. And then I know when I get to pick, I know when what I'll be going for because I'll, I'll go the opposite way of Melissa. It'll be I just select a wine where you had a bad experience. And you can, it'll be like therapy. You can just kind of you know, talk about it. And oh, no. Open up. Share our feelings. Wouldn't that be wonderful? I'll just share our feelings. Okay, so I think we're we're getting philosophical here. So, um, all right, well, great discussion. Episode uh, five is uh, officially uh, in the can. I want to thank everybody for uh, for joining us. And uh, as as uh, as we've mentioned in the past, we are uh, open for sponsorships. And this doesn't need to be anything significant. But if you'd like to donate wine to the cause, um, you know. Just hit us up, and we'll be more than happy to drink whatever it is that you send us, and we'll even give you a, a shout-out here on the podcast. But uh, thanks for everybody, um, and for for Melissa, uh, Colin, and myself. Um, we'll see you again, hopefully real soon, for the next episode of 